0: Caution! The contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa.
1: And I'm Allison.
0: And this week we are visiting a piece written by Ferruccio Busoni, just a few years earlier than the Densus Fantasticus from our last episode. But it has a dramatically different stylistic concept, so let's jump right in.
1: The Ruscio Dante Michelangelo Benvenuto Busoni was born in 1866 in Empoli, Italy. Both his parents were professional touring musicians. His mother played the piano and his father was a clarinetist. So from a young age, Busoni was allowed to learn the piano, or perhaps forced, by his father who was a strict enforcer of practice and proper technique. And as such, Busoni became a child prodigy. He made his piano performance debut in 1873 when he was only seven years old.
0: Though born in Italy, Busoni's family could actually trace its lineage back to German roots. As a young man, Busoni seemed to feel the call of the Vaterland and went on to study in Leipzig and later the Vienna Conservatory. If we trace back his teacher family tree, Busoni studied with Karl Reinecke, who himself had been a student of Mendelssohn, who, as you may recall from our episodes about Mendelssohn, was a huge promoter of Bach, which will be important later. After he finished his training, Busoni himself held teaching positions, notably in Helsinki and Moscow. And while in Helsinki, Busoni met his future wife, Gerda, and also became lifelong friends with Jean Sibelius.
1: Busoni started out his piano performance career early in life and never really slowed down throughout his career. His impeccable technique was world renowned and he toured around Europe and America several times. Later in life, Busoni was living in the time of piano rolls and early phonograph recordings. He was actually contracted by Columbia Records to make recordings, but apparently he didn't really like the process, feeling that he had to adjust his playing to the needs of the recording equipment. Unfortunately, many other records he made were destroyed due to a fire at Columbia. There are still some that survive and have, of course, now been digitized. However, like Busoni himself, those who heard the records and also knew of Busoni's live playing felt they really just didn't do justice to his mastery of the instrument.
0: During his touring, Busoni also gained acclaim as a conductor. It seems at this time, and even extending into modern times, touring conductors often have a cause they attempt to promote throughout their programs, and Busoni's favorite cause was contemporary music. Busoni had some unique views on music. He really wanted it to, quote, be free. By this, he meant not bound by the traditional 12 tones of the chromatic scale or the normal major and minor modes. He was really on the forefront of atonal and semitonal music, though he didn't get as much into the semitonal experiments as he would have liked, simply due to the lack of technology available. And in 1907, he published a treatise entitled Sketch of a New Aesthetic of Music, in which he laid out his thoughts on the future of music if a tonality was embraced. And with this, he had quite a far-reaching impact. These concepts were further evolved by his students, such as Edgar Veras, a pioneer of electronic art music, And the well-known Kurt Weill. He also helped Arnold Schoenberg achieve notoriety. In his residence, he held a private gathering for the performance of the polarizing Pierrot Lunaire.
1: Mussoni also made a name for himself through his interest in Bach, much like his grandfather teacher Mendelssohn. He published several editions of Bach's keyboard works that offer perhaps an extreme analysis of each work. Busoni offered comprehensive performance and interpretation notes, which have sometimes been criticized as too strict or overmarked. He even took such liberties in certain works to rewrite sections. As such, these editions are sometimes published with the composer name being listed as, quote, Bach Busoni. And apparently, some people during the time thought this was actually Busoni's preferred and given surname, and once his wife was even introduced as Mrs. Bach Busoni. Through his editing of the Bach works, Bussoni gained an appreciation for chromaticism, and this is what really spurred him on to see exactly what kind of harmonies could be produced if a key was not given. One of his most powerful works is his Piano Concerto, which lasts for over an hour and features a full orchestra and male chorus to back up the pianist. And though Busoni was a forward thinker about tonality, most of his works are generally viewed as fairly accessible. He did embrace what was called the quote, young classicism, which is not to be confused with neoclassicism, and this tended to follow the structural conventions of the classical era. Busoni died in Berlin in 1924 at the age of 58. Near the end of his life, he suffered from kidney disease, though the official cause of his death is listed as heart failure. His life is now commemorated with the Busoni International Piano Competition.
0: So, our Busoni piece of choice today is Alitalia in Modo Napolitano. This is the second of seven elegies for piano and was written in 1907, with each movement being dedicated to a current student of Busoni's. The work is some of the first truly a modal, though not quite a tonal, music Busoni composed and coincided with the publishing of his new music aesthetic. The title itself translates to TO ITALY in a Neapolitan mode. Though Busoni experiments with tonality and mixes major and minor all over, there actually is still quite a bit of traditional sounding melody from a Neapolitan song LA FENESTA Salucive," and there is a quaint tarantella section as well.
1: We also mentioned before that Busoni wrote a very long and grand piano concerto. And if you don't have time to go listen to all of that, never fear, for Busoni quotes himself in this elegy by using snippets of the third movement of the piano concerto near the end. We will point that out later. So obviously, the harmony in this work is complex and doesn't always make sense in a traditional way, and this can make it seem a bit challenging to listen to, or at least parse out, what Busoni was doing. Therefore, we're not really going to be thinking about the harmony in our analysis, but rather just provide a bit of a listening guide to hopefully show you that this is still an approachable work.
0: The piece starts out right away with some initially normal-sounding chords. They just don't seem to follow a traditional chord progression. This is then followed by the right-hand playing major, followed by the minor arpeggios. In spite of this, when Busoni chooses to change the key center not actually changing key, just the note his primary harmony is centered around, these modulations do still seem to make logical progressive sense, rather than just seemingly changing to a randomly selected key. When Busoni introduces more melodic lines, they still follow a general pattern of waxing and waning tension spread out over four-bar phrases.
1: This next section seems to mimic a romantic, virtuosic showpiece. There are large chords with sweeping arpeggios and scales underneath, and they move so fast that the exact notes and therefore dissonances don't actually matter. It's all just about an atmospheric sound. And now we get into the much more tonal-sounding Tarantella section. Not only can you tell just by listening that this is stylistically different than the introduction, but also in the score, Busoni now actually writes a key signature instead of just having no key signature and willy-nilly adding sharps or flats as he pleases. And because of this change with the keys, we know that he intended this to fall into a given key specifically.
0: And we even have a real modulation with a key change here, when Busoni moves from the previous key of F sharp to the minor third A. It's still a bit of a wild modulation going from a tonic key to its minor third, rather than, say, its major third, or more commonly the fifth, but at least we're still tonal. And here, Busoni uses a classical composition technique, repetition. We hear the same motif played across several octaves of the keyboard, while the bass line moves around underneath to provide harmonic interest.
1: this big buildup. Busoni takes us back to the home key of this section, F sharp, for a big grand finale of sorts, featuring big chords that are spread across five octaves of the keyboard. to the final section of the piece, Busoni wants to remind us about the atonality he presented at the beginning. He has little sweeps of the major-minor arpeggios interspersed with the pulsing tarantella rhythm.
0: This final section is the promised excerpt from the piano concerto. The upper long notes is the motif to listen in on, with more of the major minor-type arpeggios in the bass. And a keen listener will hear the downward interval after the little sixteenth notes is a diminished fifth, the devil's tritone. That concerto excerpt is actually quite short, and to round out the whole piece, Busoni gives us a little major minor arpeggio fun again. At this point, they're almost starting to sound tonal and normal.
1: In spite of not having a key signature, Busoni actually ends this little section on a nice full F-sharp major chord. But we're not done yet! Remember in the Tarantella section when we said that it would be more common to modulate to the fifth? Well, Busoni does that right here at the end of the piece, but it sounds quite odd since this is the end, and there's no way that we would expect this key, and he hasn't even used it anywhere else in the piece.
0: See, that wasn't so scary. And if you felt that this piece was palatable enough for you, we recommend maybe expanding your atonal horizons even more. Check out some works by Busoni's juniors, Schoenberg, or Veras. You'll be quite surprised by how far they've come. And if this episode of The Coffee House was delightfully palatable for you, please consider leaving us a review on your platform of choice, follow if you're on Spotify, and sharing us with a like-minded friend, or family member, or even a colleague. For the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa.
1: And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. Usonia's All Italia in Mono Napolitano was performed by Peter Bradley Fulgoni. You can find the Coffeehouse on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com.